All right. How are you? I'm going to attempt something I've never attempted before, speaking, sitting down. All right. So we'll see how long it lasts. It <laughs> won't last. Carl says it's not going to last. Um, happy Father's Day. I'm not sure if it's been said yet, but happy Father's Day. It is, again, I got my Father's Day shirt on, Yoda, like Star Wars. Sorry if you don't. I'll pray for you. Star Wars is the best. Um, but, yeah. Um, after, well, can I, if you're a father in the room, can you stand up real quick? I'm going I'm to stand up, too. But if you can stand up, let's, yeah. Um, let's, let's pray for our fathers. It's, this is something that is under attack in our culture right now, big time. And so we just, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for fatherhood, for the gift of fathers, of good fathers. And uh, we just pray a blessing on the fathers in this house, God, that they would continue to lead their families well and um, to rely on you, Lord, um, as the ultimate father. We love you, Jesus. Bless them. Amen. Bless us. I'll take it to you. So afterwards, there's going to be some donuts. Um, I wasn't sure how much to get, so you guys can get um, a lot of donuts. So donuts with dad. Yes. It's an alliteration. I'm a teacher, so I guess it's cheesy. Um, all right. So uh, we are in uh, a series on Colossians. So two weeks ago, Nick preached on chapter one. Last week, we had a guest from Lewiston, Josh Lester, who was on chapter two. I have Colossians three. Um, so I don't have to tell you right now that there is crisis going on in the world, and in our, specifically in our culture right now. Um, everybody could say that. Every generation could say that. We live in a fallen world and there's going to be crisis. But uh, the crisis that I see is infecting every area of life. It's, um, it has the enemy's fingerprints on it to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, the crisis I'm talking about is, is an identity crisis. It seems that I talk about identity every time I get up here, I, but it is really a, a passion of mine, probably because I struggled with it earlier in my life, and God walked me through really discovering who I am. Um, but, but really, how I want to tackle this with Colossians 3 is really the question, you know, who am I, why am I here, what's my purpose? But really, the, the key question um, is, where is my identity rooted? Meaning, who gets to decide who I am? Does, do, I, do I get to decide who I am? Does my culture, does the, do the stars get to decide? I mean, we don't have to look far. We can look at our own schools in Walla Walla. Just the confusion of just the transgender stuff. The, the, it, it's everywhere. There's an attack. There are so many things wanting to, to tell you who you are. There are so many right now. And it's creating a crisis. There's confusion. The suicide rate is astronomical. Even in the state of Washington, Walla Walla has one of the, it's above average, unfortunately. But Christians, we have an answer for this. We do. We are. The world is broken. It's crying out for someone to tell them who they really are. And we know the answer. It's, it's in the gospel. 
So today, I'm, I'm not really going to speak about anything that's new. It's the gospel. If we're rooted in anything else, we're like a tree that's just, with its roots, just completely dead. We'll be weak. Where should my identity be rooted? That's where we're going to be. So I think, I believe Colossians 3 um, highlights two areas, two things that um, where our identity needs to be rooted. The first one is in the death of Christ. Our identity needs to be rooted in the death of Christ. Colossians uh, 3, starting in verse 3, says, your, crucif- your crucifixion with Christ, he's talking to us, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God, in Jesus. And as Christ himself is seen for who he really is, who you really are will also be revealed. There's identity right there. For you are now one with him in his glory. You see, a tree once a year goes through a season of death. In fall, right? The leaves fall, the remaining fruit fall off. And um, like this picture here, it looks dead. There's a se- and it, it needs this, by the way. It needs it. In the same way, when our identity is rooted in the death of Christ, things die. Things have to die. Colossians, uh, picking up in verse 5, says, Live as one who has died to every form of sexual sin and impurity. Live as one who has died to the desires for forbidden things, including the desire for wealth, which is the essence the essence of idol worship. Verse 7, there, that's how you once behaved, characterized by your evil deeds. But now it's time to eliminate them from your lives once and for all. Anger, fits of rage, all forms of hatred, cursing, filthy speech, and lying. Lay aside your old Adam self with its masquerades and disguise. The old self or old Adam self with its fruits are laid aside. They're put away when our identity is rooted in the death of Christ. When he died, that stuff died with him. In other words, all of this evil fruit is put to death when we're rooted in the death of Christ. But what now? Is it good enough that our our roots be identified or be rooted in, in death? When things leave, the next question is like, well, what replaces it? We don't want to just be zombies walking around. So the second thing that identif- identity must be rooted in is the resurrection. Colossians ver- uh, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1 says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. When Christ rose from the dead, he defeated death once and for all. Everything associated with death stays in the grave. You see... Going back to the tree analogy, once the season of death is over, what happens? What comes? Spring. And with spring comes new life. New leaves form. Fruit comes back. And hopefully it's better and juicier than the the season before it. Our life is no different. In Colossians uh, verse 10, "For, for you have acquired new creation life, which is continually being renewed into the likeness of the one who created you giving you the full revelation of God. In this new creation life, your nationality makes no difference, nor your ethnicity, education, nor economic status. They matter nothing, for it is 
Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. I want to pause here for a second um, and draw your attention to verse 11. God is here, he's dismantling old roots here. Things that used to define our identity. He says, your nationality makes no difference, nor your ethnicity. How often have we heard that? I'm an American. I got rights. Who? You're trampling on them. Or I'm black, or I'm white, or I'm this, or I'm that. It's based on our nationality. That is not who, who you are. As a Christian, the, the, those ties have severed. It doesn't mean we, we completely throw them away, but they, they do not hold first place in our life. My culture doesn't. In Japan, I was a, we were missionaries there for a long time, and they said this over and over. Why are you Buddhist? I'm Buddhist because I'm Japanese. Or I'm Shinto is another religion. Well, I'm Japanese, so therefore I'm Shinto. That, that their nationality was linked to their religion. It was who, so it, it, they were like, oh, you're American, so you're, you're Christian. You're white, so you're Christian. That, that's how they, it, everything was tied to your nationality. But that, that, that's not your root. It's not who you are. The next thing is education. We've heard this. Oh, I, I have a, oh, they have a PhD. Oh, I have a PhD, or I have a master's. I, I, don't, I don't. I'm just a bachelor over here. But, um, but you know, they're, they're, I, I'm educated, so you can't question me. Right? There's that. And then the other side. I'm a high school dropout. I'll never amount to anything. I'm nothing. Both of those things are severed when we're, our, our identity is rooted in the death and resurrection. This is good news. It really is. And the last, the last thing um, highlighted in verse 11 here is our economic status. He's dismantling the idea that your identity is in your job, your bank account, your boat, your cars, and it also is dismantling that pesky poverty mindset. Well, I'll never have enough, never be enough. That's not your root. It's not who you are. It isn't. He's dismantling these roots here. And he ended it with what's it, what, what it's replaced with. The very end of chapter of verse 11 says, For it is Christ that means everything as he lives in every one of us. The old Adam, the things that used to define you, that used to be the roots that informed who you are, are replaced with Christ, who is now alive in each one of us when we're rooted. Those two things. So we looked at the evil fruit. So what, what's the fruit like with a true that's rooted in the resurrection of Christ? Verse 12. You are always and dearly loved by God. So robe yourself of virtues of God since you have been divinely chosen to be holy. I'm going to pause there for a second. It doesn't say since you are to become holy on your own efforts. It doesn't say, it doesn't say go, Carl, be holy. Do everything you can to be holy. Go. Right? I mean, go back to trees. I don't know if you've walked through an orchard, but you don't hear the trees going, fruit, 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 come on, come on, come on, right? They don't do that. Neither should we. We're called to be holy. He did it. Let me continue. Be merciful as you endeavor. So there's a, there's a fruit right there. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others. Be compassionate, showing kindness towards all. Be gentle and humble. Ooh, need to work on that one. Listen to this next one unoffendable in your patience with others. 
Tolerate the weakness of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you have been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is supreme and must flow through each one of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Let your heart be always guided by the peace of the anointed one who called you to peace as part of his one body and always be thankful. Man, Josh touched on that last week. It was a really important one. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. There's another fruit. I mean, I need wisdom. Our world is screaming for wisdom right now. Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord, Lord Jesus, the anointed one. Oh, that last one. As we're interacting with one another, as we're interacting with our unsaved neighbors, man, that every word that comes from our lips be drenched with the beauty of the Lord Jesus. Man. So I want to I have a quick note here about one of these fruits. Um, there's an InterVarsity Press publication, Lifeline, and they published a study. And this is what it said. According to the latest medical and um, psychological research, forgiving is good for our souls and our bodies. People who forgive benefit from better immune functions, lower blood pressure, they have better mental health than people who do not forgive, feel better physically, have lower amounts of anger, and fewer symptoms of anxiety and depression. They may, and they maintain more satisfying and long-lasting relationships. That's incredible. This fruit that God wants to produce in your life is actually good for you. Like, it's actually good for your soul, but also your mental health, your physical health. Wow. Terry, uh, Terry Virgo, a, a believer who I follow, um, wrote this about forgiveness as well. The itch to retaliate when you're wronged can be so great. But Jesus calls us to end it, put it to death. You might ask, why does this injustice have to end with me? Why can't I pay back? For believers, injustice ended at the cross. Jesus swallowed it all. So this fruit that God wants to produce in us is so important. And he talks, I, I, this is a rabbit trail. I'm not going to stay off, uh, off for too long, but and this is a whole other topic. But forgiveness is so important. And I just, I felt like I really needed to say that if you're holding on to unforgiveness, there's no other way to say it than you're, that you're walking in sin. We are. If I'm, if I'm holding on and I'm not forgiving my spouse or my, someone else, my kids or a coworker, if you're holding on to it, it's sin. There's no other way to say it. And it's holding you back. Some of you have, I mean, there's blood, the lower blood pressure, the immune functions. Maybe you get sick more. All that. This is the grace of God, actually, to show us, hey, whoa, this is actually good for you. Hmm. A fruit that God wants to produce. I'll say it. I said it once. Say it again. He wants to produce, and this is good for us. It's good for our spirit and our physical health. Isn't he good? What a good God. He's so good. 
Even his commands, it's like they're for our good. They benefit us. I don't know about you, but when I, when I read this and I look at the, these fruits, it helps for me to, to see an example. I want to see an example of someone who did this, who walks, and um, who actually walks fully rooted in, the, in Christ's death and resurrection. Because I'm like, is it even possible? And like, that's, if I'm, I'm looking at this going, there's a lot more of the other kind of fruit in my life than the stuff that I should have, if I'm honest. That's really it. So um, I was reading, I'm a teacher at Liberty Christian School. I teach middle school. And we were reading um, an excerpt from The Hiding Place. Uh, it's a story about uh, Corey Tenboon. Um, she, she wrote it. So their family were living in um, Nazi-controlled, I don't know, I can't remember if it was Germany or Austria, but they were somewhere. Anyway, so they were, they were um, help what they were doing is they were helping, they were hiding Jews. Their family were Christians, they were hiding Jews, and they got caught. And uh, the two sisters, the family was separated, the two sisters uh, went to a, uh, a concentration camp. And so this is one of their stories. Like waves clustered around a blazing fire, we gathered about it. They're speaking about the Bible. Holding it out, our heart, holding out our hearts to its warmth and light. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and surer and more beautiful burned the word of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I would look about us at Betsy, that's Corey's sister, as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors. It was not a wish. It was a fact. We knew it. We experienced it minute by minute, poor, hated, hungry. We are more than conquerors. Not we shall be, we are. Life in Ravensbrück took place on two separate levels, mutually impossible. One, the observable external life grew every day more horrible. The other, the life we lived with God grew daily better. Truth upon truth, glory upon glory. Every day the sun rose a little later. The bite took longer to leave the air. It'll be better, every, everyone assured everyone else, when we move into permanent barracks. We'll have a blanket apiece. A bed of our own. Each of us painted, painted into the picture her own greatest need. The move to permanent quarters came the second week of October. We were marched ten abreast along a wide cinder avenue and then into a narrower, narrower streets of barracks. Several times the column halted while numbers were read out. Names were never used at Raven, Ravensbrook. At last, Betsy and, Betsy's and mine were called. Prisoner 66729, prisoner 66730. We stepped out, out of line with a dozen or so others and stared at the long gray front of Barracks 28. We followed our guide single file. The aisle was not wide enough for two. Fighting back the claustrophobia of these platforms rising everywhere, everywhere above us, the tremendous room was nearly empty of people. They must have been out on various work crews. At last, she pointed to a second tier in the center of a large block. To reach it, we had to stand on the bottom level, haul ourselves up, then crawl across three other uh, straw-covered platforms to reach the one that we 
would share with. How many? The deck above us were too close to sit up. Suddenly I sat up, striking my head on the cross slat above. Something had pinched my leg. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, this place is swarming with them. We scrambled across uh, the intervening platforms, heads low to avoid another bump, dropping down to the aisle, edged our way to the patch of light. Here, here, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us, show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize she was praying. More and more, the distinction between prayer and the real, the rest of life seemed to be vanished for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked, as he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guards were in sight, then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. We were on our third complete reading of the New Testament since leaving that place. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the, fright, the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on, said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. To one another and to all, rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her and around the room at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said. <laughs> That's how I can relate there. Such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hand. Oh, I looked down the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in the room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the very, for, uh, the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at me expected, expectantly. Corey, she prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jammed, cramped, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and for... The fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there's no way our God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between piers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. I'm going to skip ahead to the end of this. One evening, I got back to the barracks, late from a wood-gathering foray outside the walls. A light snow lay on the ground, and it was hard to find the sticks and twigs with which a small stove was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. 
You know, we've never understood why we, were so, why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I found out. That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. You know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas! That's what she said. This place is crawling with fleas. My mind rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head, remembered her thanks to God for creatures I could see no use for. This isn't fiction. Betsy's a real human being. (laughs) Blows me away. But when we're rooted in the death and resurrection of Christ, we have new eyes. We see things differently. I was thinking about that song we sing, I'm going to see the goodness of God in the land of the live, I'm living in, in the land of the living. And I was thinking, well, maybe it isn't, I'm waiting until I see the goodness of God. Maybe I just need to change my glasses so I can actually see the goodness of God right now. I can look at my wife and I'm like, man, that's the goodness of God. I can look at my kids and say, that's the goodness of God. I can go to work and say, this is the goodness of God. When I'm rooted, I get, everything around me can be shaking and crumbling, and I can still see the goodness of God, like Betsy. It's such a powerful example of thanksgiving. If you're like me, though, you might be looking at the, the let's put this, I have a list, the list of fruits here. Um, you have that slide? Yeah, there we go. So we have the evil fruit and the good fruit. If we're looking at this, you might just like your, I mean, you might be like me. Why don't I consistently see the good stuff? All of us want that. We, look, we can look at these lists and every human being could go, yeah, I'm, I want that stuff over there. Why don't I consistently see? I look in the mirror and I still see too much of that evil fruit. I want the good stuff. I struggle. Why? How do I achieve this is the question that, that I hear myself asking myself. There's three things here. John the Baptist, he said this. I must decrease and he must increase. Jesus in the garden, he said, not my will, but yours be done. And Paul, he said, I die daily. The answer to how do I achieve this is we don't. We don't. <laughs> Let's return to our tree analogy. That next, I think the next slide there. Trees go through an annual cycle. Death, life, death, life. We're no different. Except we probably shouldn't just do it once a year. It probably wouldn't be good, healthy. We need to die daily. Daily, we need to go, oh, the death. God, I must decrease and you must increase. I'm a, daily, I need to grab my will and put it on the altar and go, wow, Lord. I love what David said, create in me a clean heart. Right? He didn't say, I'm going to work really hard and give you a good heart. He said, create it in me. And that, that's how we do that. my will on the altar. Daily, this cycle. 
when you think of the fruit of this tree, who gets credit for fruit? Do we praise the tree? I, I, like if I, I, I buy fruit from the Lafour Farms, they're friends of mine, and you, know, I, I, you don't see the name of the tree on the bag, right? Well, that's Alfred and Fred, and I don't know what you would name trees, but um, you don't see the names of the trees. You see the kind of apple, and you see the farmer's name. The farmer gets credit. He knew what the tree need, needed, and he did the work and gave the tree what it needed. He, he gets the credit for producing strong fruit, healthy, juicy, the farmer. Jesus accomplished what we could not do. He did what we could not do. He lived a life we could not do. He lived perfectly, and he imputed it to us. That's a fancy word. It just means that we get credit for his life. We failed. He aced it. He died. We get life. It's not fair. As a middle school teacher, I hear that all the time. Not fair. I'm like, you want fair? I don't. God forbid we get fair. God forbid we get fair. I'm, we should be on our face in thanksgiving that God is not fair. Because the moment we tell a lie, we're dead. The moment, because sin has to be dealt with. And thank God that all of the wrath of God was satisfied on Jesus. We cannot do it. Left to our own devices, Isaiah tells us that our righteousness, our best efforts are as filthy rags. I don't, want, I don't want you to walk away today looking at the list of fruit and go, okay, which one of those I need to work on? I, that isn't my point here today. That, just like the law, the purpose of the law, we are told is to see where we fall short is to point our, uh, to our need of a Savior. And the same thing is here. We look at these fruit, we're like, man, for me, I'm like, ah, anger is one of my things, man. With my kids, sometimes I get home and they just are dinking around and ah, just yell at them. I'm like, no, mm, that's not the fruit I want. But I don't go, be less angry. Has that ever worked for you? It hasn't worked for me. It hasn't. But what has worked is when I'm rooted and I'm on my face, and I'm surrendering to Jesus, and man, for some reason, I'm more patient. Wow, why am I more patient? Well, because I'm rooted. And then when, I'm, when I lack patience, it, again, it tells me, oh, how long has it been since I've died and since I've resurrected? How long? Ooh, I need to get back there. In the shadow of the, shadow of the cross, if we stay there, it's easier to forgive like Jesus forgives. In the shadow of the cross, it's easier, easier to be thankful, just like Betsy in the story, even the fleas in our life. In the shadow of the cross, it's easier to do what we're created to do, and that's to give God glory. So we're to be rooted in the death and resurrection by daily surrender. And we'll, if, we've got to surrender our will and embrace the finished work of the cross. Got to remember, I, if you find yourself working, get back to the cross. No, Lord, produce this in me. So how do I do it? I just get in my face and su surrender. And then he fills me with his Holy Spirit. And then I get to be a conduit of his 
grace. I get to be his hands and his feet to the world that needs it. I can walk up to a sick person, lay my hands on him and see him well when I'm submitted and surrendered to Christ because then I can be a conduit from heaven to earth. So we're, we're going to take communion together today. So if I, I didn't ask some people, sorry. If I could have a couple people pass out um, communion. And as those things are passing out, um, if you could, could you put those, that list again? And again, this is a mere, this is just a mere, this is just to look at symptoms and go, what, I, I, I find it helpful to be specific when, when I'm praying, like for me, anger, Lord, oh, help me, God, I submit to you, help me not to be angry. And then produce these fruit in me. Lord, I want to be unoffendable. I want to be unoffendable. Imagine how powerful a church that's unoffendable in the, in the age of cancel culture. If we can be unoffendable, that is so countercultural and that I believe is attractive. Man, but again, don't try not to be offended. Let's stay rooted. So I mean, I'm just going to pray for us as, the, as they're um, passing them out. Just invite the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, I just, we know the purpose of this. When you, whenever you show us fruit on both sides of the aisle, it's meant just to be a symptom finder. There's only one cure, and it's getting on our face and dying to ourselves and embracing the finished work of the cross. Holy Spirit, we just want to pray the prayer of David. Lord, create in me a clean heart. God, produce in me these fruit. Help me to be rooted. Help us to be rooted.